Well, thank you, Gene and Debbie. What an encouraging word uh, from the McDermott's. And I'm so grateful for them. I'm so grateful for their, for their marriage, for their ministry. And I, I think my favorite line uh, in this video uh, faith story was when Debbie said that uh, God is calling us to leave a legacy uh, because we have inherited a legacy of faith from others. And so, and, and Gene and Debbie are doing that. They are leaving a legacy, and they practice that. As many of you know, uh, Debbie uh, teaches our Got Jesus class, which is our gospel class for our children. And uh, both Gene and Debbie are active partners in passing on the faith that's been handed to them. And um, and that's really what All In is about. It's our current series here at Windsor Road, and it is, um, it's about the future of our church family. Yeah, All In is your leadership's best efforts to excel in our mission of being a life-changing community, passionately pursuing Christ. God has put this church family in this community at this time to fulfill his purposes of magnifying the greatness of Christ. And so we want to do that uh, by focusing and pouring all of our energy, uh, our ministry efforts, our giving efforts into three specific areas. My faith, our church, the world. And those three areas are uh, explained in this all-in booklet that we've been uh, passing out to you. My faith... My faith is about excelling every week in every dimension of our walk with Christ. Uh, God wants us to excel. He wants us to excel in our faith, in our prayer life, in our Bible study, in serving, in worship. Uh, and we excel when we can say what John the Baptist said about Jesus. He must become greater and I must become Lesser And the my faith portion of all in is about that. My faith, our church. Our church is about making space for life change. And Gene uh, mentioned that in his video, Faith Story. We want our environment to be irresistible and welcoming and safe. And that's what our campus improvements are about in the areas of children and student ministries, as well as connection and community places for our adults. And I don't know if you were here uh, Wednesday night at, uh, the, at the maze, um, but that's a perfect example of why we need dedicated children's space. Uh, Jason Weatherhold, our family life minister, told me we had about 375 adults and children here and um, we had many guests and I was uh, at one of the uh, at the games I was doing my Bob Barker impersonation manning the Plinko board and um, so you know they would drop the puck and on the number and whatever number you got that's how many pieces of candy you got and of course, you know, when dropped on one, that's just not good enough. I said, keep doing that again. And so the, when they got to three, then that was the most they could get. And they were excited, the kids were, and I know the parents appreciated that. Um, <laughs> but it was packed here, and it was exciting. And several parents said to me, uh, okay, Pastor, okay, now I know why we need a children's wing. And uh, listen, we will always, always, always be a healthy, strong, vibrant church family if we will pay attention to building healthy, strong, vibrant families, we will. And so that's what the Our Church portion of All In is about. Uh, but the goal of going all in is so that we can go out. And that leads us to the world. 
We want to pay attention to missions, both locally and abroad, and we want to continue to support our current missionaries, uh, as well as adding two initiatives uh, locally. Uh, we want to focus in the area of kindergarten school readiness. Uh, and then internationally, uh, we want to partner with uh, Go Ministries, who works with Pastor Essene uh, to help the church that he is pastoring in Haiti. And um, so it, Jesus said in Acts 1-8, you'll be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the, end, to the ends of the earth. And so uh, it's, not, it's not either or local or global. It's both and. And, and you can uh, get involved in global outreach even this afternoon at our annual Operation Christmas Child um, packing event that's going to be taking place. That information is in the bulletin and there's a booth out in the foyer uh, after the services. You can check that out. So um, my faith, our church, the world. Uh, so, Several of you have has asked me the question, Randy, what will change as a result of all in? And here's my answer. More of the same. More of the same. We want to excel in what we're already doing well. That's what's going to change. We want to excel in our faith. We want to excel in love. We want to excel in our knowledge of Scripture. And we want to excel in what the Bible calls the act of grace. We want to excel in the act of grace. Now, what is that? Well, that leads us to our scripture today in the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there. And we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And he uses this phrase, see that you excel in this act of grace. What does he mean by that? And I want you to pay attention to that phrase as we read these verses and see if you can't figure out what he's talking about. We want you to know, brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this, here it is, act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, or some versions say, in your love for us, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake... He became poor, 
so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is God's word. Did you figure it out? This act of grace, what's he talking about, huh? Oh, you're right. He's talking about money, isn't he? He's talking about giving. Oh, ministers, they find money in every verse in the Bible, I'm telling you. (laughs) Well, not in every verse, but in these verses, yeah. Yeah, he's talking about giving money. This act of grace. And people often get nervous when their ministers start talking about money, and it was no different back then. Uh, There's a story behind these verses. That's what you need to understand about the story, what's going on behind these verses. Paul writes 2 Corinthians partly as a fundraising letter. Paul's trying to raise money for kingdom work. Paul wants the very affluent, very non-Jewish Corinthian Christians to give money to support the famished and persecuted Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And this offering is going to help brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's also going to break down the racial barriers between Gentiles and Jews because this is Gentile money that's going to be going to Jerusalem. See, that's huge. And this money will be given so that everyone can see that in Christ there is no Jew or Greek. We are all one in Christ. So it's a very significant offering. It's going to be delivered by Gentiles. And it's going to be delivered by Paul too, who used to kill Christians in Jerusalem, you see. So so this is a very significant event here for kingdom work. But here's the problem. Paul has had a very stormy relationship with the Corinthians. I mean, it's been very rocky. He's had to confront them. Just read 1 Corinthians. There's been friction. There's been disunity. And, uh, you know, Paul has really had to step on some toes. And he's been criticized. And so, you know, there's this temptation to shy away from the subject of giving money until the emotional temperature feels right. But Paul... Paul says, no, this is that important. Okay, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, um, and I, so I want you to learn something about how to think about your money. And that's really the point of these verses in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Though we're just looking at the first 15 verses These verses answer the question, how does God want Christians to think about money? Now, you may be here for the first time, and if you're not a Christian, listen, uh, this really is a good Sunday for you to be here because this is a learning Sunday for you. This is a learning Sunday because here in these verses, we will all learn about this question, how does God want Christians to think about money? So, you know... um, this pastor doesn't want anything from you if this is your first Sunday here and uh, you're not a believer. Um, What God wants is that which will be for us. And so as you are looking at these verses, keep in mind that these verses were addressed first to Christians, about Christians, and for Christians. 
And as far as Christianity goes, money is not merely a piece of paper. As far as Christianity goes, money is not merely plastic with a magnetic strip. As far as Christianity goes, money is an act of grace. An act of grace. Money is an act of grace in which God partners with us so that through us, he might serve others. That's what we're seeing here. Every verse leads to that big idea. Money's an act of grace in which God partners with us so that through us, he might serve others. Did you notice in these verses, Paul never uses the word money. Never uses the word money. He, he never uses what in his, his language would be for our language, M-O-N-E-Y. Doesn't use the word money. He calls money grace. Great. Isn't that refreshing? That really is. You know, because, you know, I'm sure you've heard many sermons on giving money that are without grace. That the sermons that are about law. You ever heard a law-based sermon on giving? Well, let me just give you a quick one, okay? It takes about 30 seconds, all right? Here's my law-based sermon on giving. It goes like this. Point number one. Point number one. Here is what I want you to do. That's point number one. Point number two, you're not doing it. Okay? And here's point number three. Try harder. Okay? That's the law-based sermon. This is not that. This is about grace. Paul says money is grace. And giving is an act of grace. And so with that in mind, we look through these verses, and I want, I want us to see four observations about this text. And the first is this. How we view money will largely determine what we do with money. How we view money will largely determine what we do with money. So how do we view money? How do, what is your understanding about money? These verses teach us that God wants us to see money as an act of grace. He wants us to use money as as a means of gracing others. He wants us to employ money as a means of ministry and a way of serving. And so when we see money as God's grace, we will agree with James 1.17 that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. When we see money as grace, we will say with 1 Timothy 6, 17, God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. When we see money as grace, we will use it as a wonderful means of responding to the needs of others. When we see money as grace, we get to watch money do things that have eternal results when money is grace. When money is grace, it partners us to a larger, grander, everlasting kingdom, larger than any Forbes 500 company. When money is seen as a dimension of God's goodness and grace, then, then it makes perfect sense to work for it and earn it and gain it, and therefore you have no reason to ever be embarrassed when you prosper. If you're committed to a grace mentality, about money, then the word for you is go for it. Really, money is grace. 
At the same time, Scripture also says that money can be a curse, you know? And you know what the difference is? See, here's the deal. Money will bless us when we use it, but it will curse us when we love it. It'll bless us when we use it. It'll curse us when we love it. And so money becomes a curse as it causes us to forget God. Money can produce what one author calls eternity amnesia. It can make us think that this life is all there is. Money becomes a curse when it causes us to look down on others. And money can become a curse by weakening us in the face of temptation. Money can curse us by removing a layer of restraint, affordability. And in doing so, it exposes our heart. So money is a blessing, money is a curse. How do you view money? Do you see it as a means of grace? Do you use it? as a tool, God wants us to enjoy it as a part of his grace. That's what he wants. What do you want? Well, this leads us to the next observation I want us to see in 2 Corinthians 8. So, how we view money determines what we do with money, and what we do with money is a reflection of how we see ourselves. Now, Paul was encouraging the Corinthians to share, and in doing so, he was talking about other Christians in Macedonia. That's what's behind verse 1. And when you think of Macedonia, that's think of Greece, think Philippi, think the Philippians. And Paul says that out of their, verse 2, extreme poverty, literally their rock-bottom poverty, they begged him for the privilege of giving. Isn't that an Isn't that ironic? Usually it's the pastor who's got to beg the people for the privilege. The people here are begging Paul, no, let us give. Out of their rock-bottom poverty. Interesting, isn't it? Sometimes we think that generosity can only come from abundance. But these verses say otherwise. These verses give a great equation for generosity. Poverty plus Abundant joy. Notice it didn't say poverty plus abundant possessions. No, 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 no. The only thing they were abundant in was joy. So rock bottom poverty plus abundant joy in Christ equals over the top grace giving. That's the Philippians. And why? Why did they do this? Verse 5 tells us they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then by the will of God to us. So, so as far as the Philippians concerned, Christ was their identity. And, and Christ was their reason for living. And Christ was their meaning and purpose. And that's why they begged for the privilege. For the privilege of this partnership. They gave like they knew who loved them most. In other words, they saw themselves as managers of that which belonged to another. So if money is grace, then that makes us grace distributors, partners with God in his gospel business. We're agents, not owners. And that's easy to forget, isn't it? Isn't it? I saw that Wednesday night. Little Johnny. He's got his cute little Buzz Lightyear costume on, you know, he's playing plinko he gets a 
one. I say, keep going until you get three, you know. And so he gets three, and I give him six because that's what mom and dad want me to do, right? <laughs> I give him candy, and so he's got those Snickers in his bag, and then as they're walking off, you know, dad leans over and says, Johnny, can I have a Snickers? And what's Johnny say? No, it's mine, right? It's mine. And that cute little Buzz Lightyear becomes the Lord of the Rings Gollum. (laughs) My precious. It's my precious. Give it to me. I want it. Yeah. And it's like, Johnny, who drove you to church? Johnny, who bought your outfit? Johnny, who's going to drive you home? Johnny, who pays the mortgage? Johnny, who doesn't have to ask if he doesn't want to? Johnny, who can, who can pin you to the floor and eat that whole bag of candy in front of your face if he wants to? Johnny, I... Listen, if you have money to provide for your family and pay your taxes and meet your daily needs and I mean, it's because our sovereign God in heaven has graced you. And you may object, and you may say, now just wait a minute, I got that degree, I earned it, and and I earned that job, and I work hard every day. Yes, you do, but you didn't choose your talents, and you didn't choose your intellect, and you didn't choose your abilities, and you didn't choose your parents. And you didn't choose where you were born or in what country of this vast earth where you were born. And you didn't create the economic conditions necessary for your job to be available. And you definitely were not in control of the decision-making capacity of the person who hired you. God did all that. It was an act of grace in which he partnered with you so that through you he would serve others. He owns it all. We're managers, trustees, and stewards. That's how, that's who we are. We're grace distributors. I don't know if you know this or not, but since our last facility expansion, and Mike Simmons, our administrative minister, told me this uh, just this week. He informed me that over the past decade, God, in his grace, through the stewardship of this church family, God has given through his people at Windsor Road over $1.2 million to missions and benevolence and stateside ministries. Now, I think to myself, you know, how is that possible? It's possible because you have given yourself first to the Lord. That's how that's possible. There's a way in which you and I are always seeing ourselves either as a container or a conduit for the resources we have. Either we think of ourselves as a destination where those resources stop, or we think of ourselves as a distribution center. We're either a pond where it sits or a pipeline through which it flows. Paul wants the Corinthians to think about their situation. He's challenging them. He's challenging them to imitate the spirit of the Philippians. But ultimately, he wants them to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ himself in his grace. And that's where we get to this wonderful verse, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just stop there for just a minute. Because Jesus is the ultimate grace distributor. He's the ultimate example of grace giving. Question, what is God's elemental posture to us? What's his basic posture to us? See, many people think uh, and they believe God like they think about trying to get into the U of I. You've got to take exams to get in and you 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 got to and then you got to study hard in order to get that degree. You got there's like a final judgment. And along the way you may get some nice mentors and professors and so forth, but the basic principle is merit. And people think it's like that with God. But would you base your relationship with a human like that? Huh? Well, if you wouldn't do that with a human, why Why would we think that of God? God's basic elemental posture toward us is that of grace. Grace. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Now what does that mean that Jesus was rich? Rich. Where? Not in this realm, but in the heavenly realm. In the heavenly realm, Christ was rich beyond splendor. In the heavenly realm, he possessed all the majesty of deity. He was adored by his father, worshipped by the angels, invulnerable to pain and frustration and embarrassment. His supremacy was total, his satisfaction complete, his blessedness perfect. And he held none of those rights by any effort. It was just the way things were and had always been, and there was no reason why they should change whatsoever. But change they did. Paul says, Yet for your sake, he became poor. And how? By putting on human flesh and by means of a degrading and humiliating death in which his enemies stripped him of everything. Paul said earlier in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Centuries ago, a church leader named Gregory put it this way, Christ was made poor that we through his poverty might be rich. He took on the form of a servant so that we might regain liberty. He descended that we might be exalted. He was tempted that we might overcome. He was despised that he might fill us with glory and he died so that we might be saved. And so in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. We've been chosen, we've been rescued, we've been redeemed, we've been adopted, we are heirs, we are sons and daughters of the king, we are a kingdom of priests, we are a temple of the living God in whom God lives by his Holy Spirit. God's posture to us is that of grace. And whatever is going on in our lives now is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison, an eternal weight of glory. That's what it means to say he became poor so that by his poverty we might become 
rich, that we might become weighted with an eternal weight of glory. All of that has been brought to us by the King. I think it's time for communion now, don't you? I think it's time for communion. I think it's time for us to remember that the gospel is about a wealth beyond all imagination king who surrendered it all to become impoverished for us so that we might share in his glorious riches by grace through faith. Christ made himself poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. What's that mean? It means that Christ's coming tells us that this life is not all there is. Listen, this life has been designed by God as a preparation for our final destination. Christ's coming says that I have been put here with much larger reasons than a right here, right now focus on, on my wants and my feelings. And so then the goal is not to use my resources to turn the present into as much of a paradise as I can afford. The goal of this life is not personal happiness, it's holiness. So let that, let what Christ did for you inform you as to how you excel in this act of grace. This act of grace. And when the Corinthians heard that, some of them still worried. Well, yeah, but Paul, what if my gift isn't enough? What if my gift isn't enough? And I think more than the Corinthians are concerned about that. You know, what if my gift isn't enough? And that's where we get to the fourth observation in verses 10 through 15 of these verses. And it's simply this. When the readiness is there, the gift is always just right. So Paul's saying, you focus on the readiness and the gift will take care of itself. In verse 10, Paul asks the Corinthians to revisit their commitment plan to help their Hebrew brothers and sisters in Christ at Jerusalem. He says, look, a year ago you made this commitment and you had the desire So follow through on your plan so that your follow through will match your initial desire. That's what's behind verses 10 and 11. And in this manner I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work but also a desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. And then verse 12 says, for if the readiness is there, there it is. If the readiness is there, then it is acceptable. What is acceptable? The gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Now, what was their commitment plan? Well, that's in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, we read that these Christians were to give and set aside some weekly so that when Paul and the The Macedonian Christians came and 
the offering would be ready and then they would all send it on to Jerusalem. It would be personally delivered. by. So Gentiles would deliver Gentile money and Paul, who had once been a Christian killer, would then also be there. And what an act of solidarity. So, so Paul says, look, you consider how God has graced you. You decide what you're going to commit and then cheerfully follow through. In verse 15... Verse 15 is a reference to Exodus 16, 18. While en route to the promised land, God fed in the Old Testament his people manna, bread from heaven. And God told them when the manna was going to be available and when it wasn't, and he warned them against hoarding it. And he promised them that if they would just follow his word, everybody would have enough. And the meaning of the manna is that God will supernaturally intervene in your affairs to take care of you while you are on your journey home. So don't do the math. Ask God to do the miracle. You think about what, is God, what God is calling you to do, to share, to be a grace distributor in his kingdom work. You consider that and then you act on it. Make a plan and then trust that he will take care of you. That's what Paul's saying here. Now, some of you have asked me, Randy, what's the plan? How are you going to ask the congregation to give toward all in? I want to talk about that now. I want to direct your attention to this card that says commitment on it. And I want you to open it up. And in the front half, you can see what uh, our goal is. By God's grace, we're praying that he will give $4.5 million over a two-year period. And here are the three areas that I spoke of earlier and the money allotted to each area, my faith, our church, and the world. And when we think about how God is going to be giving through all of us, listen, we're all here at Windsor Road. We have believers in all stages in their spiritual walk when it comes to giving to God's kingdom work. We have new believers who who uh, you know, have yet to experience the, the, really the joy and the thrill of trusting God with their finances. And so, so this is going to be an opportunity to, to test God. And there's only one verse in the Bible where God says, test me in this. Malachi 3, it's about giving. Test me and see if I won't bless you. And then we have occasional uh, givers who uh, give here, here and there. And the challenge for you will be to make that a part of your budget, a mar- part of your plan. And then for those who are intentional givers, there's a challenge to, to say, you know, to trust God with the tithe, 10%. And then those who are tithing, who give 10% of your income to God through this church, And then there's a challenge for those who are extravagant givers, those who who give beyond the tithe to God through his church. So where are you in this generosity ladder? You think about where you are, and you think about where God may be prompting you. And I'm going to ask you to return this card. Uh, We're not receiving these cards today, but I'm going to ask you to return this card on November the 17th, two weeks from now, Commitment Sunday. And so... Uh, I'm, you, I'm going to ask you to think through and consider what, what might your plan be. And so here are some scenarios. So let's say Michael, he's a new believer. God's given him a $50,000 a year job. He wants to, he wants to t- trust God. So the Lord prompts Michael to give 5% through this church. And so 
He's going to write down 2,500 a year over a two-year period. That's 5,000. And then there's Jennifer. Jennifer normally gives 500 a year to God through this church. And, and the all-in initiative has moved her to commit an additional $1,250 a year. And so over a two-year period, that's 3500 that God is going to give through her to this church family. And then there's Paul and Rebecca, who uh, they normally give 6000 God gives through them that much. And all, them, all in is moving them to commit an additional six. But they have some stored resources. They found some stuff in their closet, and they put it on eBay, and my goodness, it sold for $2,000. And so their two-year total uh, giving, God giving through them is 26000 And then there's Carlos. And these are, by the way, people that we, we just made up these names Carlos gives $7,000 a year uh, God gives through him to the church. And all in has moved him to give an additional $1,400 a year. And so his two-year total will be $16,800. And then Judith, who's been giving to the church, has been $13,500. And all in has led her to give an additional $1,500 over two years. And she has stored sources. And so you see, you get the point. Think about what God is calling you. And just as the Corinthians were instructed to consider and prayerfully plan, I would like to encourage you to think about where you are and to think about where you sense God is prompting you and pray about that and make yourself ready on November the 17th. And remember verse 12. If the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has not according to what he doesn't have. Now, Sarah and I have been praying about what our all-in commitment uh, would be. And this week in uh, my devotions, I was reading 2 Chronicles twenty-two fourteen. That's when David was raising funds for the temple. And in that verse, David, as Israel's leader, made it uh, crystal clear to Israel what his financial commitment was going to be. And then he challenged God's people to seek the Lord and be a part of this. And I read that and I thought to myself, that's good leadership. Um, Because people deserve to know that their leader is all in. Uh, And so, uh, brothers and sisters, in that spirit, um, Sarah and I, over the next two years, by God's grace and in our praying and in our thinking ahead and planning, by God's grace in his partnership with our marriage, Sarah and I have committed to give $50,000 to all in, and that's going to include our regular giving and additional giving, and, and I just feel that you deserve to know that your leader is all in And we believe that God will give more than that through some of us. And we believe that he will give less than that through some of us. My prayer is that he gives through all of us. Because money is an act of grace. It's an act of grace in which God partners with us. So that through us, he might serve others. My prayer is that my life will grow and be as bold as Noah. (laughs) Let me tell you about the most generous gift to this church this summer. Came from a 10-year-old. 
Jesus would call this the most generous gift last summer. You see that? 35 cents. And here's the note on the offering envelope. I'm learning what it means to give 10% off the top. Wow. If he's learning that at 10 years of age, I can't wait to see Noah when he's 40. I, I hope I make it that long to see when he's 40. Oh, my. There's a grace giver right there. Think about it. How exciting would it be to excel to the point that the largest check that you wrote each month was to God's kingdom work? Think about that. I mean, for, for most of us, the largest check we write is for either mortgage or rent. But what if we started a journey? And every journey starts somewhere, right? You know, a black belt's going to have to start as a white belt, and a concert pianist starts out with scales, and every PhD had to start out with, in kindergarten. But I'm telling you, what if we began a journey that kept trusting God, trusting God, and it took us to a extravagant grace giving? Money's an act of grace in which God partners with us so that through us, he might serve others. We're going to do some business with God now. The band's going to come up here and... Uh, we're going to hear another song. And I just want you to begin to think. It's you and God now. I want you to think about what it would look like in your life for you to excel in this act of grace.